Oh, Mitch, I, I told the internet that you'd spill a beer in your keyboard, and someone's like, it's 2019, we called him Keebs now. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, he's about to yeet his keeb. <laughs> Welcome back to Beers with Talos, episode 52. We have a amazing episode in store this week. I know I say that every week, but this week, I actually mean it. It's like plus one. It really yes. is. Well, plus one, minus one. No, no, no. It's the... definitely nope, plus no, two. No, I was correct when I counted. <laughs> <laughs> As we all know, there's a general rule in podcasting. Uh, only one Texan allowed at a time. So we have replaced Craig today with Wendy Nather. Wait, Yeehaw. is is Wendy the new Craig? No, you, that's not <laughs> nice to say. You <laughs> take that back. It was a question I had to ask. It was, you know. The upgraded Craig yes. is maybe a better, there we way, go. Wow, that's a better way to say that. So we have Wendy with us today. I am joined, as always, by Nigel, Joel, and Matt. Uh, so let's get today started. Uh, we're going to go around the table like we always do, and we'll introduce Wendy when we get to her turn in the round table because she has... A great little topic for us today. Actually, to kick things off today, we should actually talk about what Craig is doing. Craig's actually playing hooky today. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. So he Craig is took not it upon on himself. Yeah, he took it upon himself. I'm going to go race AMG class cars at a racetrack. Yes. yes. And so we are all hoping that we don't get a text message here in a couple hours that's like, you know, hey... I just want to let you guys know. Craig is on PTO for the next six weeks <laughs> while he recovers. <laughs> I've yeah. crashed the car into the Something wall. Something like that. Yeah, and I know I need to pay it off. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The reason he did this one. Now, get this, guys. The reason he did this one, this is a track day event by Mercedes-Benz. To my understanding, there is zero liability. So yeah, Mercedes-Benz USA has made a massive blunder. Yes, they have. Craig. They've done a bad thing. <laughs> Access to a 63 AMG without any liability. So uh, we're going to see how that plays out. So I've been playing a video game called Division 2 that came out. And one of the special abilities I have is for every 10% less armor I have, because someone shot it off, I do 10% more damage. So I like this perk. It encourages yeah, you oh. to make horrible, horrible decisions. Yes, because you're like, I'm like, I've got no armor, but I'm definitely going to shoot people now because I'm really ripping it up. <laughs> yeah. That is essentially what, what Mercedes-Benz has done. They're going to like, don't worry, Craig, you can go as fast as you want and f*** everything up because we're not going to make you pay for it. And Craig's going to be like, vroom, vroom. <laughs> if this isn't called Berserker Track Day, I don't know. know what they Wrong. <laughs> Nigel, oh, you Sir. are first up on the list today. What is what is going okay. on in your world this week? I know. Well, there's a number of things. <laughs> number of things. First of all, the mighty Ple mighty Reds are uh, playing this afternoon at three o'clock Eastern uh, against Huddersfield Town at Anfield, uh, and then next Wednesday we of course have. The first leg of the semi-final of the European Champions Cup against Barcelona. Mm. Uh, and then we go away to Warren's team. Nope, they're in Newcastle for next weekend. And then we play Barcelona again, the second leg of that Champions League semi-final. And then we finish the season at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. And uh, basically, we need to win all of those games. Each yeah. and every one. Yeah. Draws are no good. Right, certainly losses are not ever any good. 
we have to win all of them, right? And then we'll be obviously it's glorious. It's really neck and neck so, this year. <laughs> it really it's um, it's getting down to the wire, yeah. right? Things are getting you know a bit hairy, but there, that's where we stand right now. Uh, the other thing is, I um, also got my birthday present this morning, so I now have my ticket to go and watch the Mighty Reds up at uh, Fenway Park in Boston uh, in July, and they'll be playing Sevilla. Where again, you will obviously take that very seriously because it's a preseason friendly. So we obviously we want to win that one as well. And, uh... <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that for a second, Nigel. Like yes, you, you, you have been such a devoted fan mm. of the Mighty Reds mm-hmm. that they have Since done you the favor. Boy. Yes, of, they have of coming to Boston, where one of yours is is soon moving. So they have they have given you the gift of playing on your home turf. And gifting you a reason to visit your daughter right. all that's at the same right. time. Like, well, that's, that's right. Yeah. That's that a loving visit team the right colonies there. every once in a while. You know, is right, right. So I mean, yeah, my daughter is is moving to Boston tomorrow, and uh, upon hearing that, the Mighty Reds decided we must then play a game at Fenway Park so that you can go and visit your daughter and and come and watch the Mighty Reds. Anything else going on this week, Nigel? Um, well, let me see. Uh, I have a gig tonight in Manassas. I have another gig tomorrow night in Manassas. Uh, a two night engagement. Yeah. Two nights. There's a festival going on there as well. Fantastic. Um, something Taking about that new, like uh, one, that new PRS out there. It's called like one love something. I don't know. It's like a whatever. reggae fest. <laughs> I don't, very I've, good. It was good. Quick yeah, call. sure. <laughs> I have no idea what the festival's <laughs> Nigel has joined a reggae band like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking about taking the Strat instead. I, I don't, I'm going to leave the the new one at home. I think I don't know. Nigel has we'll definitely see. reached that age as a musician where he looks back across his span of playing classic rock for the last sixty seven years and is like, <laughs> "Yeah, a little um, boat country is probably good right now." <laughs> How about some bluegrass, gentlemen? Boat country. Uh, <laughs> boat country. Yeah, we can do that. Sure, why not? Joel, what is on your mind this week, sir? I've got two things on my present mind, uh, of neither of which is exciting. I got new glasses today, so I can see, which is good. Because uh, apparently I turned 40 and my eyes went, mm, you don't need these anymore. And so they got worse. <laughs> prog- they're getting progressively worse. So I got some glasses. Yeah, um, seeing is over. Do we have the same Joel. glasses now, Joel? Like, uh, no, mine are better. So I mean, you two are <laughs> totes adorable right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Except my hack isn't backwards because I'm not a hipster. Uh, that's what doesn't hit my <laughs> microphone. <laughs> Matt, Yo. you are up next, sir. Hey, look. So I've already mentioned Division Two, and so weirdly enough, I've also been playing Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, and I've also been playing a little bit of Ghost Recon Wildlands, all of which are uh, all of which are published by a company called Ubisoft, and they're all various complete train wrecks. But there's a beautiful thing that Ubisoft does, where they have they all of their games kind of connect into this overarching, overarching like Uber Ubisoft kind of environment, where they kind of set challenges in each of the games, and you can unlock Ubi coins or whatever. And so. I spent Easter weekend playing Rainbow Six Siege, and I am happy to let you know that I completed 
the bunny challenge. <laughs> oh, right. and here's on, the description for the bunny challenge. Yeah. Celebrate Easter with the Ubisoft Club Challenge. Get 25 headshots in multiplayer to receive the egg quest charm. And so <laughs> I got my my I, I sent this to Mitch and Mitch was like, what you're you're doing headshots for Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, that seems to be Ubisoft's role right now. Here's what I love about this. Every time I see anything like this, like I see like a weird ad or something, in my head, I always go, there's a meeting room somewhere where and they had to bang these out like every week. And there's a panel and they're like, listen, <laughs> yeah, right, so yeah, here's yeah. my idea. I got an idea, guys. We give them an Easter here's egg, they can hang on their gun <laughs> right. to celebrate Easter. Christ is risen, okay. provided they get 25 headshots. Huh? And someone with authority <laughs> that, that Ubisoft says you're allowed to make adult decisions on behalf of this company was like, yep, this sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Ship it. Uh, I'd like to introduce our, our special guest today. Before we, we go ahead and, and let her have her roundtable, we do have Wendy Nather with us. Wendy, uh, most of nope, you listening. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to tell you how you're going to do this. I know oh, you've prepped this. All right. There's on, only us. one way. You, you can give the rest of the details, but I want to give the honest intro for Wendy. Because there's there's only one way to make sure that the, that the, the listeners know that you haven't prepped it all for this. I'm going to read you the honest words that Mitch sent me on Monday at 11.52 p.m. Let me go ahead and preface this by nope. just getting this out of the way nope. now. <laughs> I am a Wendy Nather fanboy. I am a 100% a Wendy Nather fan. I had not heard from Mitch all day, and then at 11.52, my phone pings, and Mitch says to me, holy shit, dude, Wendy Nather is legit. Here's a quick bio. You can find her more easily because basically everyone has written articles on her, and then he sends me a link to uh, the Women in Cybersecurity page, which is was an awesome place to go. And then he follows up two minutes later with, she also has three times as many Twitter followers as Craig. I love it. <laughs> the box so he is man. not making it up. He is a legit Wendy fanboy. Oh, Jesus. This is true. This I like is that true. you went and looked it up. Both that she has that many Twitter followers and you went and looked at Craig's profile to do the math. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually a little bit more than three times now. So well, it was, I had some, just some dated info there. Uh, but to, to let everybody who is listening know who Wendy is a little bit, just to, just to kind of give some background. Wendy uh, came to Cisco through the, the duo acquisition. She's previously held positions all over the security world. Uh, research director at the Retail ISAC, research director at 451 Research, uh, led the IT security group for EMEA for Swiss Bank Corp, which is now UBS, uh, and served as a CISO of the Texas Education Agency. So there's some, some pretty deep credentials there. I did want to read a quick excerpt from one of your latest awards, Wendy, from the from the SC Magazine uh, Reboot Leadership Awards, because I think this encapsulates it pretty well. Oh, I wanted to talk about the whole reboot leadership concept as well. So I'm do just enjoying the Mitch <laughs> fanboyism. Go ahead, Mitch. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I have to say first, our PR people wrote that, you know. <sighs> oh, hey, uh, that's a let me tell you what a Talos rule is. Don't let PR write anything for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you can let him write it, but you yeah. better edit it yeah, afterwards. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But uh, from from the SC Magazine uh, Reboot Leadership Awards, uh, Wendy's profile reads, neither is regarded as one of the top security influencers and mentors in the world. Actually, we could probably just stop there because that's that's probably good enough. There you go. But uh, I like it. <laughs> uh, currently is the director of the advisory CISO group for Duo, Duo Security, now Cisco. Uh, Wendy heads a team of CISO strategists working with internal and external audiences to build a new vision for security, one focused on simplicity and ease of use rather than fear, uncertainty, and doubt that is pervasive in the industry. You're already speaking my language. With over 30 years <laughs> of technical experience in the IT and security field, Nather has been at the forefront of advanced resources and security knowledge to help organizations defend against breach. Her deep experiences have also allowed her to wear many hats and observe security through a range of different perspectives. <laughs> that last part was a little bit the, much. You the know, li- little, no, I, I hope you're watching the live feed no, of Wendy the right visual, now. The She's visual of Wendy chugging, chugging scotch. from the scotch bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even more of a Wendy fan now. Wendy, welcome to Beers with Talos. And I would like to give you the opportunity to, to present an open roundtable topic today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know how to, how to follow that. I, I really don't. Um, but, but I will say one thing I, I, I recommend. I just found this out today. Um, if you Google Thanos and you uh, on, oh, yeah. on Google and you pull up uh, on, on the right hand side, there's like, you know, the Google entry for Thanos and there's a, 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 a gauntlet there. If you click on the gauntlet, just watch what happens. It's really cool. Oh, speaking of Easter eggs, okay. Yeah, my, nice little Easter egg. I'm I'm so psyched for Endgame uh, this oh, I weekend. I have tickets for Monday night. Yes, me too. I, I spent like an oh, hour that's good. trying to get tickets. I like that. I dropped that one in our in our Talos cha- channel earlier this morning and just waited for people to go to go do it. it but it's pretty did cool. A great job. But the uh, the topic I wanted to bring up was. Uh, when uh, when Mitch asked me to supply something was security surprises because uh, I had the opportunity to go uh, back to my roots in state government this week at a security conference here in, in Texas and uh, meet some of my old colleagues. And I was reminded of, of the things you find out when you're doing security in an organization, like, you know, not just a production server running under somebody's desk. Uh, which everybody has found at one time or another. But there was the time that, um, so we we had been degaussing backup tapes for a really long time, for years. And my deputy, who is a very, very thorough person, decided to go one day and read the instructions on the degausser. And he came back and he said, you know, I've just discovered that this degausser actually doesn't work on tapes. <laughs> you know you find these surprise uh, oh my god Don't. you know what have we been doing all this time luckily you had several blocks of c4 yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> by that time years later you don't know where half your backup tapes are and you assume that they were all fine and you know you degauss them and you threw them away who who you know just read the instructions that's all i can say a hot tip. Time to go dumpster diving for backup tapes. RTFM. Mm, right. And then dumpster diving for something to read them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. How many DB2 <laughs> experts do we still have out there? Uh, you know, this, oh, would, this would be none. really good to know. But uh, an, another friend told me about the time when he found 
he discovered two acres worth of data centers that they didn't even know they had, like running oh, data centers. Oh, let's talk about this. Yeah, I saw well, that. How do you lose two servers acres? In there. How, how does this happen? This is what happens when you outsource and nobody has read the contract in years and you outsource the running of this to some other company. And again, if you go back and read the instructions or read the contract, they're like, okay, you know, we have this company that's running something for us. Does anybody know where it is? Oh, it's at this address. Let's drive over there. I'll be damned. There are two acres worth of data center that we didn't know about. (laughs) I want to know how the accounting team lost track of two acres of data center. Yeah. And, you know, I knew that application was running weird. Now we know why. (laughs) Well, did it need four acres not, of data center? Like, why was it, it running several more? Yeah, tell you, I mean, it, that, I know exactly how that kind of thing happens because people go, "Yeah, we need more capacity, or we have new thing that we need to be running. Let's do that," and then nothing ever gets switched off. They just add more. Oh, adding more instead keep of subtracting adding more, the old one. adding yeah. more, and nothing gets recycled. Nothing gets turned off. And no, and everybody's scared to death to turn it off because they don't know what's going to happen. Yes, exactly. They don't know what it does. Poor change management. So, <laughs> no, it's not poor. I, I just don't understand how you lose track of that much. But um, so you've you've come into Cisco now as part of Duo Security. Duo is focused very much on zero trust, multi-factor. These are the things that we know Duo for. Um, so I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity here at the front to kind of go through some of your experience a little bit and, and give us the, the, the five, 10 minute, you know, elevator pitch on, on why zero trust is important, uh, how, you know, solutions similar to Duo or, or multi-factor uh, factors into that zero trust equation. So you're being super nice. Let's give her like the difficulty level that she has to deal with right now. Because (laughs) on Wednesday, we had the prep call where me and Joel and Nigel and, and, and Mitch had a discussion about this zero trust thing. And there was like a 15 minute argument about what zero trust was. And then we decided we didn't know what it was, but we also decided we didn't like it. Whatever it was, because yeah. it didn't make any sense. It was too hard to define. Yeah. Let's and ask so, Wendy. <laughs> so then we finally decided that Wendy would tell us what it was, and then we would decide whether we liked it or not. Yeah, that's okay, so no pressure here. Yeah, go ahead. All right. All right. So first of all, I have to warn you that it's my opinion that zero trust is going to be like cloud used to be. You know how we used to sit around and argue what cloud was? Say that this is cloud. No, that's not cloud. That's not real cloud. Yes, it is. So I think we are going to be doing this with zero trust. You know, I've got a zero trust printer. That's not how zero trust works. Yes, it is. <laughs> so you're you're going to oh, hear like blockchain. Yeah, you're going to hear so <laughs> many different descriptions of what zero trust means, um, and even I have arguments about it. So I think the one thing that we can all agree on is that you can no longer trust something just because it got inside your firewall, right? You, you can't you can't take you can't take it for granted anymore, and people have known this for a really long time. And the um, some of the CISOs of financial institutions in the UK uh, formed a, a group called the Jericho Forum, which is a reference to you know the walls coming tumbling down. And they talked about this at at the turn of the millennium that you can't trust something just because it's on your network. 
And therefore, what should we be doing instead? And they came up with collaboration-oriented architecture, which is a, a really big mouthful to say. And they also came up with deperimeterization, which is what they said that you should do. Now, I think this never caught on because deperimeterization is too hard to say after a couple of pints. I mean, am I, yes. am I right? It's it's also very difficult to win at Scrabble with that yeah, word. Yeah, it's, right. it's very hard to say. So I remember as a CISO looking at that and reading their paper and thinking, you know, they're right. I agree with them, but I don't know how in the world I would pretend that all of my assets are out on the open internet. I don't know what I would do. So fast forward a few years and John Kindervog, when he was an analyst at Forrester, came up with the term zero trust, like never trust anything, um, whether it's inside or outside your network, just don't trust it. And I think that caught on because it's easier to say, even I can say zero trust at three in the morning, zero trust, you can all say it. So I think that's why this is really caught on. Um, Beyond uh, when Google looked at this and said, yes, we should be doing this for our corporate network. It took them seven years to do it. And they called their implementation of zero trust beyond corp. So that's another phrase that you're going to hear out there. And they have like six or seven, I think six, maybe white papers on how they did it, which is very good reading. Um, they, they really open up about both the logistical and the technical issues that they had in implementing this architecture. They came out with this, and so Beyond became a word. So their, their implementation is called Beyond Corp. Intel came out with a very similar one, and they called it Beyond the Edge. So you're sensing a theme here. People are trying to describe what this means. So if you go back to first principles and say, what does this really mean? Don't trust something just because it had the right IP address and it came through your firewall. So what do you do instead? What do you add to figure out how to trust it? Now, I have arguments with John Kindervog about this because I think there's a semantic difference in the word trust. You can either say never trust anything. And in this case, trust means you shouldn't grant access without verifying. And yeah, I agree with this. You shouldn't grant access without verifying something. But we can also say you uh, trust means granting access because you verified it. And that's why at Cisco, we talk about trusted access, because it's really hard to go into a room of people and sell them something that says, first of all, never trust anything or anybody. Uh, first of all, they're not going to buy that argument um, and because they have to trust things. That's, you know, how business works. And, and secondly, you know, they're not going to trust you either. So I think it's much better to walk in and say, we're going to help you figure out how to trust things and... Uh, using additional factors besides just the fact that they got through your firewall. So has so everybody got that part? Oh, oh my like God, there's both parts? Because that seemed reasonable, right? right like, I was going to say, that's a good description. <laughs> I like it right there. So, so this is the analogy that I use when I'm talking and I'm giving talks about zero trust. Let's just say that you're in a club and there's a bouncer at the door and the bouncer is the firewall. So the bouncer is going to let people in for a bunch of reasons. But if I'm the bartender and I'm standing at the bar and you come up and ask me for an alcoholic drink, I'm going to say, look, I don't care why the bartender let you in uh, or the bouncer let you in. If you want an alcoholic drink, if you want to access my service, you're going to have to show me some ID because that's my policy. You know, you came in and the bouncer let you in because you were a good dresser or whatever, but my policy for my sensitive application is you got to show me some ID before you can drink. 
and you put that policy and you enforce it right in front of the application because you don't know where that bar and the bartender are going to be. They could be out on the patio and people have never seen the bouncer, which is pretty much what SAS is, right? SAS is outside of your corporate firewall and people are going directly to it. You want to put your enforcement right there where it makes sense, right in front of the application. So this is kind of how we think about it. Um, this, is, this is how we think about it at Duo. And if you start thinking about um, how are you going to trust something regardless of where it is and regardless of where, where it's accessing something, what else would you put in there to, to enforce the verification? Then you start thinking about, all right, this is a design pattern. This is a zero trusty way of doing things. How do we start re-architecting things so that, you know, so you're adding additional things. So maybe you want to check the user with more than just a user at name and password. You want to check them with 2FA. And you want to check their device and make sure that it is what you think they're using because a lot of users will use different devices. They'll use their own devices. Uh, so what do we know about the device? If we check it at authentication time, is it up to date on software? Do we think it's got good security hygiene? Do we think it's compromised? At that authentication time, then we'll decide if we're going to let them in. Because if you're checking the you know corporate um, cafeteria menu, we don't really care what you're using. Uh, we don't care whether it's up to date. The risk isn't that big. But if you're an ERP administrator, we might say, you've got to use a corporate issued device. It has to be up to date on its software. It's got to have an encrypted disk. It's got to be not compromised. We're going to double check you every time you initiate a session. You know, we're not going to remember you for a long time. We're going to keep checking you over and over again because the stakes are higher. So that's where why implementing zero trust or, you know, just implementing whatever you want to call it is a, a better way of thinking about security. And now the, the real trick is how do you do this in many different environments? Where do you do this, this checking, this verification? And it doesn't mean that the perimeter is gone. I don't believe that. The perimeter is any place where you're making an access control decision. And so if you think of it that way, you're going to make access control decisions at the network layer, at the operating system layer, at the application layer, wherever you can do it and wherever it makes sense. So th this is kind of the, you know, the, the theory behind it. Applying it is going to be different at every different organization. It is, this is what, I mean, yeah, it, what do you think? It's like we're going to start like no I, I, it all makes sense like and that's that's the that's the thing. But the theory is like well let's start with a stupid statement, you know. It's okay as long as it's inside the perimeter is not a is not a is never a way to think. Yeah, right? don't and, do that anymore. Yeah. And I don't think I don't even know I mean I guess at some point for certain resources, that was the case going back a ways, but like in, in no modern environment, like for Cisco, oh, it is you there treat, everywhere. Oh, but you treat <laughs> you treat the you treat the perimeter now as like an as an additional layer, right? So there's resources inside Cisco, for example, that you can't get to unless you are on the VPN and and uh, or on on a hard network for Cisco. But even those resources each have their own additional layers of security and authentication and like that i mean maybe i'm just used to working in those environments but like that's just a good way to do it you know you can't you can't just 
to say the perimeter is dead is almost the reason I don't like perimeter is dead is because there's a value in defense to the perimeter that if you say the perimeter is dead, that you are, you are rejecting or losing. And there are times when, yeah, sure. Some of your resources, you definitely need to have access to from outside, but, but then you extend the perimeter. And I think to some extent, your, your, your control of the endpoint by ensuring that it meets certain things ensures that that thing that is accessing and becoming inside the perimeter is now vetted as being allowed to operate with that context of security. And then all future future checks are kind of based as part of that. Yeah. So think about, uh, for example, when I log into Gmail, uh, I can I have a bunch of Gmail accounts. If I log in as in, with my personal login, so it's my personal Gmail account, Duo doesn't care what I do. But as soon as I log into Gmail with my Duo account, yes, we still use Gmail. So if I log in as, you know, Wendy at Duo.com into Gmail, Gmail immediately realizes, okay, this is part of Duo. Duo cares a whole lot about the security of what you're using to log in. So we're going to throw you over to Duo and they're going to check some more aspects of this login before they let you in. So the only difference is which username I put into the Gmail login field. That was the place where the access control decision was being made. So, you know, some people say identity is the new perimeter. It could be if that's where you choose to make the distinction on what security requirements you have. If I'm logging in as Wendy at Duo, there's one set of requirements. If I'm logging in as Wendy, my personal account, nobody else cares. So there aren't additional security requirements. So that's another way to think of it because Gmail's on the outside. Where's the perimeter? You know, the perimeter's whether wherever you decide it's going to be. So I have so like we generally we don't talk about product much on this podcast, but I do have a question about so Duo because we actually uh, so um, Talos has used Duo since before um, you were acquired. Like it was our it's our two FA uh, solution. But Nigel is such a hipster. Yeah, he's he's, he's the <laughs> OG we Duo cool. user. He was Duo before Duo was cool. And uh, so, but like, so what you're sounding like, like, does Duo have like an on, like, so I have it on my phone and when I log in, um, I have to have my phone and like say, yep, um, uh, that's me. Um, do you have, does Duo have like a, an endpoint uh, client as well that checks like the endpoint security settings and all that other stuff before allowing you to log in? Uh, we don't have a resident agent on the endpoint, but we do check. Um, certain security settings using native things like we use Google Verified Access. Um, if if you're on a Chromebook, uh, for example, to check what's you know what's going on on the endpoint, we, you know we will check things like um, the OS level um, and um, whether you're using and uh, with using a lock screen, whether you have disk encryption. We use the the native um, endpoint utilities to do that check at login. So let's say I'm using my laptop and I'm logging into Gmail as Wendy at, at duo.com. Um, as soon as I authenticate with my username and password, Gmail says, oh, you're part of Duo. We got to throw you over to Duo and they're going to check some more things. So yeah. that's when Duo says, okay, I want to, I want to see your, your second factor either on my phone or I use a YubiKey. And it looks at the laptop and says, is your laptop up to date? And it might say, you know, Chrome is out of date. You got two more weeks before you really need to update. If you don't update in two weeks, we're going to stop letting you in because we really need you to be up to date on the latest Chrome version. 
All right. So then, then I have a follow-up question just yeah. between you and me. So like I do lots of different things on my laptop. So what does Nigel know about my laptop that I don't want him to know about? Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not, your, it's not your laptop anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nigel won't tell me what he knows. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that's the other thing that, that um, you know, what Duo can do is you can check things, endpoints, and enforce policy on them even if you don't manage them. So, you know, for my personal phone, um, you know, Duo doesn't manage it, but it it has marked it as trusted and said, okay, yes, we know this is Wendy's phone. We expect to see it. We're still going to make her keep it up to date, but we're not updating it for her. We're making her do the updating. So it's a more collaborative model when when organizations have partners that they can't enforce anything on. The most they can do is say, look, you know, do what you want with your laptop on your own time. But if you want to log into our application, you have to be this tall to ride. You have to have, you have to meet these security requirements. Otherwise you're not getting in. So that's kind of, you know, that's acknowledging the reality of where we are today with, um, you know, multiple users and applications that are inside or outside the corporate premises with SaaS applications. And that's where I talked about, you know, putting your policy right at the point of authentication, because otherwise you're not going to catch them. You have no idea what network they're using or, you know, where they're coming in from. You have to look at, at authentication time and say, all right, what are you using today? Who are you? Can we double check and make sure it's really you? Are you up to date? Is it safe? All right, we'll let you in. And you just do that every single time. So long, like listeners who, who like even last week, I think we had a discussion briefly about this. Um, this is the difference, like this kind of capability is the difference between an SMS two-factor authentication solution, you know, and a, and a, a client-based commercial grade security solution. And, and again, I've always been a fan of like SMS for certain threat vectors is completely reasonable yeah. way to go. But, you know, as you're getting, as you're, as you're getting closer to the crown jewels, this is the kind of, of um, examination of endpoints and verifications that you need to be doing. Yeah, you're just going to look at more things. And because trust isn't binary, you know, you might try to trust me to do some things and not others. And trust is not permanent. I'm not going to trust you forever. You have to decide at what point do I want to reset that trust and re-verify. So maybe I'll remember your device for eight hours. And so you don't have to authenticate again, but... At after eight hours, I'm getting a little nervous about the state of your device and whether it's still really you. And I just want to recheck everything again. Uh, and again, that's it depends on the sensitivity of your data and your application. You want to make that decision. You've always done the same thing when you know you you don't allow uh, uh, VPN connections to last forever. It's the same idea, right? You don't allow you know with SSH uh, sessions or whatever to last forever. So it, it's that same thing. And and the other thing that I think is super important that we use it for a lot is just because you've used that two-factor authentication uh, to get in, um, now when you need to go and access other resources, there are other checks that we do as well. But for some resources, it's kind of, yeah, I know we've already checked you once. We're going to do it again for this one, right? We, it, I, I don't care that that you're already here, 
um, I'm just going to accept that you are here and I'm going to make sure that you are, again, who you say you are. And that's the whole the, the whole bartender thing, right? You know, he's not going to, you know, you don't pick up a, a Kerberos ticket at the door and then that's fine when you get to the bar. Right. right that's right. kind of like, well, okay, thanks for that. But uh, I'm going to see, need to see further ID, please. Yeah. The most boring right. bar ever. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Kerberos ticket, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, do you have the, the ticket granting ticket? Yeah. <laughs> What you're talking about with with the timeouts, with um, with VPN timeouts, like Nigel mentioned, and you mentioned about uh, holding those creds for you know some certain amount of time to increase the usability. Um, I, I made a comment when we were we're setting up the podcast today uh, when I spilled my beer all over my stuff uh, that you know this is why we can't have nice things uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, you you had written a, a blog post uh, probably about a year ago, maybe now uh, of that same title. Why we this is why we can't have nice things. Why we can't have nice things. Addressing the usability of of higher security. Uh, you took the readers through a step by step, and I'll, I'll put the I'll put the link to that blog post in the show notes on the Duo blog. Um, and, and you laid out this, this, this enormous, like 11 or 12 step process for a hypothetical situation of, of paying your friend for a slice of banana bread. Um, how do we address some of that usability when we're talking about zero trust MFA and, and always verifying, uh, what do we have in place to, to address the usability of that? You can't obviously check every step along the way, every single time, or people are just going to stop using that system, Right. Well, the thing that the thing that I liked that Nigel said about this, as the person who doesn't know the answer to the question, but I was thinking about this is the the, the system that Wendy's describing, and then the implementation that Nigel's describing means that that customer or that user experience is different based on the severity of of loss associated with the system that you're accessing. So, so what Nigel was saying was, yeah, you'll have a certain experience to get into the VPN. And then from there, a lot of the resources, and this is true internally, a lot of the resources that we, we do um, just kind of happen magically. But if I am going to, to block a domain, for example, internally from, from outside, it's VPN in and then SSH with a verified key with password and then a separate set of passwords to get into the system that actually does the blocking. And then I'm permitted to block. Like, like, and, that, and that is an onerous procedure, but that's also adjusting the security the security of every stance. Cisco customer in the world. Of every Cisco customer on the planet. <laughs> so, so like the user, like like I hear people with this argument, and this is what I was thinking of is when he was describing the system to me, and 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 thinking about my experience with Duo because Duo, and this is true of other um, two factor authentication systems as well, um, commercial ones. Using Duo is easier than using SMS two factor authentication. It is super simple. Like there's no copying and pasting. You're, you kind of do a thing and you're done. Um, but you can't just blanket say, well, customer experience or user experience has to be blah. It is another one of those things that you take into account as you determine what your risk is. The higher your risk profile, the user is going to have to suck it up in terms of how they're going to be, you know, interacting. And you're hopefully the more important stuff is going to have a different level of security to get into it. Yeah. So, so a- answering um, Mitch, Mitch's original question, referring to the blog post, First of all, I should say that is not a hypothetical situation. We had a recruiter at Duo, a um, uh, guy by the name of Nate Frickell, who makes the best banana bread I have ever had in my life. 
And, um, you know, he, he would, would Nate, what was his name? I gotta be, I gotta make some friends. Go go to the banana bread effect.com. Absolutely. Banana bread And you can order it for yourself. And, you know, we, we would place orders and he would bring in these loaves into the office and I'd have to figure out a way to pay him for it. So I'm at the wrong website. Yes, I am too. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh my God! Do you, are you having the spinny yes, Chinese? Yes, yes, yeah. okay. Uh oh, <laughs> we've done something wrong. Oh no! Did I give you? Wait, the I'll put this URL, in the channel. The wrong trousers? Oh no! I don't know. I kind of want to. I think this is the website gonna, we should be on now. I'm going to have to send this to one of my analysts to figure out what I've is, stumbled on. Is this legal? <laughs> What's the what site you went to? Oh, throw it in the, oh, channel. Throw the, the um, chat. It's, there we go. That's where I went. Yeah, yeah so I go too. to thebananabreadeffect.com. The well, I'm definitely opening another tab because I'm coming back to this one. Delicious bread and a life-changing experience. That's what you should be seeing. One heart, one mind, all, all that kind of stuff. It is, it is seriously amazing banana bread. All right, now we're there. All right, I think I'm at the right place. You got the standard loaf and the signature chocolate chip loaf and the gluten-free and yeah, uh, yeah. that's what we so want. So there you go. Anyway, so so yes, you know, it's not just the problem that if you're trying to get to a more uh, a more critical resource, you should have to jump through more authentication hoops to get there. It's that uh, you're using you're accessing something like this, you know, when you're paying somebody, you're having to go through so many different steps that are completely disconnected from one another because they're not governed by the same organization. So I talk about having to log into my password manager to get the password. And then, you know, if you turn on all of the security options for everything that you use as a consumer and and you line them all up, it doesn't necessarily line with a, a very simple workflow of just paying somebody money for banana bread. So I, I described this on the on the blog post, and yes, that is a big problem. Um, and I and we're trying to solve it at Cisco and at Duo by making things easier. But here here's a, a thought experiment. Um, sometimes CISOs can come up with something that is good enough security without turning on all the security flags. So for example, if if one of the problems that you have is account takeovers and you're really worried about stolen credentials of your employees and somebody has, you know, is using misusing the Mirai botnet and they're stuffing credentials into your site and they're they're trying to log in as your employees. If you issued two-factor authentication to all of your employees and their logins, and let's just say, and I'm not recommending you do this, but let's just say that you set up the two-factor authentication so that as soon as the employee registered, it would remember their device forever. So, you know, the laptop that they use, their corporate laptop, it would just remember it forever. They'd never have to use that 2FA again. Yep. It would still be shrinking your attack surface. Yep. Because anybody else who tries that stolen credential from a non-remembered device is going to be hit with the 2FA. Wendy, you and I were on a on a um, on a Twitter explosion. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> do you remember the one about the act, how do security people access public Wi-Fi? Yes, yes, yes. That and one. and I don't know how I got tagged into this, but my take was like you just get on the <laughs> Wi-Fi and you do your stuff. Like you shouldn't. Your you should be able to. 
reasonably execute your daily life in that in that area. And and but but there's people who do security who are just coming up with the craziest set. Well, I do this, and how do I worry about pre-patch connections and validating? And I'm like looking at this, and I was finally just like unsubscribe. And then one person liked that, and it was Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I was just like, like done like, with the whole thread. Eject, eject, eject. <laughs> Get out of this thread. Um, no, it's it's absolutely. You know what's good enough? Like, do you not trust TLS? Did really, you know, it's that yeah. why why do you, you know, if if you're just going to one site and they've got TLS, is that not good enough? If you've got your laptop patched and up to date, is that not good enough? Um, you know, and a lot of people say, oh my God, you know, absolutely not. But I think they make a career of paranoia and confuse mm. that with appropriate security yes. and usable security. So, you know, I'm saying, you know, you could deploy 2FA and only use it once and you would still be getting a measurable improvement. The other thing is that if you start using 2FA, a lot of those brute forcers out there, as soon as they see it, they stop attacking your site. Yeah. So Dave Lewis yeah. on my team who runs Li Liquid Matrix Digest implemented Duo on his site and immediately the brute force attacks that he saw every day dropped like by 98%. It's like as soon as they see that 2FA is in use, they just stop trying. Yeah. So you are making a measurable improvement in security, and you're not making your users suffer. So there are ways to do this. You just got to play around with them and see what is good enough. Yeah, I mean, you're essentially doing like a certificate-based system at that point where where Duo is essentially issuing the certificate that this, that is then checked later. It's It's a... It's right, a you know, it's marketing. user friendly implementation of, of yeah. that. In yeah, the we, past. yeah, we know who you are. We expect to see you. We're going to let you in. Yeah. Yep. So we have. Uh, oh my, we've been talking for a while. Yeah. <laughs> in in your experience, um, as you know, director of research, you, you've you've done a lot of of research, presumably into the area of authentication and access and identity. What are some of the things that we've seen? Some of the bigger threats or bigger problems that cease to be an issue with zero trust and MFA? You know, I'd, I really hate to say that the problems are going to disappear. Um, I mean, I, I just talked about how um, when a lot of attackers see that MFA is in place, they stop trying, which which is true. And uh, there's also a blog post from Emory University out there that they talk about how they stopped seeing an enormous amount of phishing and ATOs uh, just by implementing um, MFA. Um so, you know, the, you can see a stark reduction and a measurable reduction in some of this stuff. But um, zero trust in general, um, I heard another story this week uh, from the um, CISO of the state of Colorado where she talked about how they were hit by the SamSam ransomware. And the reason why they got hit was because uh, one of their uh, developers had set up a cloud instance. It was just supposed to be temporary, so they didn't bother locking it down, but they attached it to the domain as if it were on-premise. So that's that trust relationship that you have to watch out for. So it was hit by about 40,000 you know, brute force attacks, and they finally figured out the password. Uh, they took over the instance, and because it was attached to the d domain, they were able to move laterally, and they took over the Colorado Department of Transportation. And they were down for like weeks while they cleaned up this attack. So this is a case where if they'd had, if they'd been thinking in a zero trust way and saying, no, we, you know, we don't trust any um, instance 
first of all, you'd better secure it no matter how long it's supposed to be up. And secondly, you don't let the domain trust it. Um, you do additional authentication. Um, you know, you implement to a fay. There, there are a lot of different ways, but if you think about it fundamentally as we should not have been trusting that instance, um, then you see how you should be, you know, working forward to implement things going forward. It's zero trust is not any one technology and it's not any one product. It's a design pattern. It's a way of thinking about it. So you can start doing things in a zero trusty manner right now, uh, on just about anything. I mean, that's what you say. Yeah, that's what she says. <laughs> Joel, Nigel, any other questions for Wendy before we start to head toward a close? No, I just, I'm, you know, I'm really encouraged to hear that there's, that there's uh, other people that kind of think along the lines of like, let's not scare people with security. Like, you know, Nigel was talking about, or I'm sorry, Matt was talking about the panic, you know, security people trying to get on Wi-Fi and stuff like that. And I've ran into that several times in my career, like, you know, oh, well, I create a, you know, a reverse authentication tunnel with blah, blah, blah. And I go through DNS on port 53 and it's secure Do because you. it's got, it's like, come on. Oh, you and read so, that. Oh, you read that Twitter feed. I can tell. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've read, I've ran across this like several times in my career, especially when I was in professional services, I would get out there on the road and I would meet these people that were like, oh, well, I've, you know, I do these following five steps. And I'm just like, you know what? You know what I do? You know, I change my passwords and I have two factor. Cool. You know, it's I like, just use <laughs> Joel's credentials when I log into public Wi-Fi. Yeah. That's... Oh, yeah. Don't use share credentials. It's the uh, so I'm just I don't know. I'm glad that there's more people that are that are not as panicked about security and people that I think people that scaremonger or use FUD to try to scare people into buying a product or buying into a security policy. I think that's disingenuous. Yeah, I, I, before we do start to come to a close, I do want to mention one thing um, that I have a question, Mitchell. Oh, go for it, Nigel. <laughs> I'll mention my thing later. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna. I was. Well, you asked if I had any I questions. I did. I did. You know, and it, and it takes like he's like the Warris. He takes about three months to figure out whether he does have a question, and then he'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, my, I was just going to say, I was just wondering whether Wendy thinks it really is sensible to be drinking whiskey that's got peppers in it. You know, uh, what is it that Mark Twain said that you can, um, learn, a learn a lesson by grabbing a cat by the tail that you just can't learn any other way. Yeah. That's sometimes true. you just got to, you just got to taste quote. the whiskey. To put it another way, it yeet. <laughs> I'm going to yeet down this whiskey and then we're going to. I'm going to yeet that whiskey on down my throat. There Peppers and all. She yeah. yeeted the whiskey. Yeet. All right. Difference, difference is this time the whiskey was in a glass, didn't come right out of the bottle. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes I like to be classy. She's like a grown up and yeah. stuff. Adds, two, adds 10 class points. I got a glass. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I don't remember what the hell I was going to say now. I was, that was, it doesn't matter, really matter, but we have, we have been going on for, for quite a few minutes now. So I do, I want to go back around the table and get uh, closing thoughts, parting shots from everybody. We'll do this in the, in the same order that we started the show, which Nigel, that puts yes, you sir. up first. Okay. Um, yeah. No, let's not trust anyone, especially Mitchell. I would. And um, 
Also, hey Mitchell, have we got any tickets left for the uh, for the threat research summit or no? We are getting very, very close. Those those last tickets are probably going to yeah. go fast. I'm almost hesitant to even promote it on this podcast, sir. So if you left. So check now if you are hearing this and I've decided to leave it in because they're check now. Like, they're going to go fast. Okay. All right. Well, anybody who's going then, um, we'll see you there. I have. Yeah, we got we got tickets and everything. Now it's official. Yeah, we will be recording a live podcast at some point oh. during that week. We'll release details of that later. So if you want to come find us and watch a live episode of, of Beers with Talos, I, I can't help you with the disappointment that will result from watching us <laughs> record this live, but you can be there anyway. Cool. Joel, do you have a, a closing thought, a parting shot for today? Uh, for some reason, ladies and gentlemen, and I know this is kind of a visual thing, but I have a tooth on my desk I thought you just told him some weed. That I, well, must, it's like <laughs> that's not uh, what weed looks like, Nigel. Not, not, yeah, not, yeah, so not, that's tell. not that's yeah, that's a tooth in a baggie. It's I, don't a, know I have a tooth like. in a bag. I don't know why it's not my tooth. So let's be clear. I have a question for you about this, Joel. Because when this my week kids on have, on Joel's desk, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So when your kids lose their teeth. Okay. Like, what do people do with those? Do they throw them away? Do they keep them in a box? What are you supposed uh, to do I, with I have kids a perfect teeth? solution that I just read on Twitter, and that, that is one of the best things you can do is take all of those teeth and put them in one of the Easter eggs that your kids have to find. <laughs> oh, my God. And open it up, and, they, and all the teeth come out. Just scare the living daylights out of them. I like How it. many kids do you have, Wendy, if any? <laughs> you mean now? No. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> went hella dark. It's good. <laughs> have any of them got teeth? <laughs> I think I should do this and tell my kids that the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny got together, and oh, that's boy. what they got. For oh, yeah, that I don't know. Beautiful. I have a tooth on my desk. I have no idea why. I'm gonna now. What do I do with them? I have them all. Yeah, but what do you do? With I that? don't that know what to do with yeah. them. Like, you- so it was funny. The only reason that we've kept them is because when we had our first child, um, my mother-in-law gave my wife all of her teeth when she was a kid. My wife's, that my is wife's weird. Toe. Okay. No, that's not okay. Yeah. And so, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying okay. okay. I understand. No. Not that's cool. Yeah. But <laughs> not okay. No. no, it's not. No. I'll tell you what, you know what we did with them? We did the thing with the, uh, with Coke, right? So you get, you know, yeah, your glass yeah. of Coke and you put the tooth in it yeah. and you watch it dissolve. Oh, nope. I like it. Mm. That nope. sounds like science. Yeah. Nope. That's what Coke does to your teeth. Well, I know that. I know that. Uh, I just it, so. <laughs> Smile for yeah, us. Yeah, but I mean, it just feels weird. I have this like collection. I have this little box of teeth in a drawer, and like I don't know what the hell to do I don't with know them. What to do it's with it's them very either, strange. If you put it necklace, under your pillow, Mitchell. necklace. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Do it. <laughs> make my kids leave a five under there. Yeah. Compound interest. <laughs> Matt. Parting shot. Closing thought. So um, I have just tweeted out that Mitch is on the clock. And the only thing between the listeners and the podcast is his commitment to the listeners. But as I was going to tag Mitch, oh, we know the I accidentally ones. tagged Mitch McConnell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you Wait, can't find I, you don't you can't find that tweet. It's not there anymore. Wait, so, no. How many times do you tweet but, <laughs> Mitch McConnell? So, that I don't, it becomes I don't, the first result. But okay. I went back after I made that mistake. I went back and I grabbed the screenshot, and I have the most interesting collection of MIT people on okay. my MIT dropdown. First is Mitch Neff. Then the MIT election lab. (laughs) 
<laughs> then MIT itself, then Andrea Mitchell, and then Mitch okay. McConnell. And so <laughs> that's that is uh, that is a weird collection of people to associate with Mitch Neff. It's okay. I'm sure Mitch McConnell gets plenty of my tweets, and he's used to it by now. There's, right. Oh, that asshole again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Wendy, do you have a, a parting shot, a closing thought for us? Oh, man, I am all out of, of closing thoughts. Um, but you have given a lot today, so don't let Mitch you, you guilt have. you like, into having is, to do I, anything no, else. No, I'm just trying to no. say that it is all going to be all right, okay? It's, it, it is going to be okay. Nope. We should get ourselves some whiskey with peppers in with, and with, a nice with loaf of banana bread. Yep. Right. I've already ordered my loaf of banana bread, so it's on the way. I do want to give you a chance to plug anything here at the end, Wendy. I know that you have written a book. No, I I, I was one of many, many authors together with Anton Chuvakin and a bunch of other folks on the, the cloud security rules. Um, I think I did one chapter or something like that. Um, but... Uh, you know, I, I just want to say be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. That's the first Bill and Ted's ending we've had. I just got yeah. there. Yeah. Like also, they did Done. announce they did announce movie number three. Yes. They I did see that. Is that actually three. going to happen? Yeah, I'm excited. Happen. Yep. Yes. Oh, I'm not excited. And I love Bill and Ted, but I saw them doing the promo. I'm like, I don't want to see those two again. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty wrinkly, but then again, yeah, so are the rest are. of us. No, but the funny part, it was like, it was like, uh, one of them looked normal. And then Keanu, the, well, non-Keanu, and I can't remember his name. Alex Winter. Uh, Alex Winter. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Look normal, and then Keanu was like in full like John Wick mode. Like, it's like, all right, John Wick. All right, he's gonna go back in time, I guess. I don't know. Well, the funny thing is that Alex Winter looks now like the old lady makeup they put on him in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You know, where mm-hmm. he played the grandmother. Oh, he kind of actually does. I, he looks. How are you like able to pull now? this out of your brain? I'm scared. It, you know, I don't have anything <laughs> useful in my brain. Just this stuff. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, that's there was a that's time what this episode will show to everybody. Be, that's right. Woody Nather, nothing useful in her nothing brain. Nothing useful. In her <laughs> yeah. Brain. Nope. <laughs> you just there was a time carried this podcast and- for fifty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like this is seriously. I, I'm going to go through uh, when we're, when we're wrapped up here, but I think this may be the podcast that the hosts of this podcast have spoken the least, just because we didn't have enough smart things to say to come, you know, compete with our guests. We today. never have enough. Well, smart to be honest, things we we never. Say. Yeah. No. No, that never happens. We never have smart things to say ever, Mitchell. That's why you're yeah. in charge. Yep. <laughs> there you go. So, but I do want to thank everybody for listening. I especially want to thank you, Wendy, for stopping by today and sharing a lot of your experience with our audience. Um, like I said, if you are lucky enough that there are still TTRS, Talos Threat Research Summit tickets left, you should get those now because, well, frankly, they're probably gone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, real quick, we just need the listeners to know that Mitch Neff has been promoted. He's now the face of the podcast, and uh, yes, all future swag will have his visage on it. Yes. Yes. In oh, 8 bit. We were serious about that. <laughs> oh, that's serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. In 8 bit nice. rendering. But thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time here on episode 53 next week of Beers with Talos. And until then, cheers. Isn't this episode 52? This is, but I said yeah, we'll that's see why you on next episode week's 53. 53. Oh.
But that wouldn't be next week. No. We always but say the next listeners week. Don't they don't know. They don't know. Okay. <laughs> Those stupid <laughs> listeners can't tell. We, that's what Mitch thinks. That's why it takes a month for him to edit a episode because he's convinced uh, no one has any chronological sense. <laughs> this thing's going to be ready right. Monday because Craig's not here. There's no uh, way. No, we've only said twice. Three times. Yeah, he's got a hotkey for that. That's. <laughs>